Because I want you to see a couple relationships that, that I hope will, will draw your heart out in awe at what God has done for you in Christ. I want you to read with me in chapter 2. We're going to begin in Colossians chapter 2. This is a, a letter that Paul wrote to a church at Colossae, which is about 100 miles east of Ephesus. He wrote a letter to the church at Ephesus known as Ephesians. And these two letters are very similar to each other. They have a lot of the same themes. The book of Ephesians tends to be a bit more general. Colossians tends to be maybe a bit more specific and particular. One of the themes of Ephesians is of the church as the body of Christ. Right? Remember those verses? In Colossians, the emphasis is on Christ as the head of the body. So same theme, but with a different, slightly different emphasis. Paul wrote this letter from prison. Remember that as we go through this. And you see how he's just marveling at the glories of Christ. And he's doing it while imprisoned. We'll begin the book of Colossians in chapter 2. Paul writes to them, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf. And for those who are at Laodicea, which is a town just about 12 miles away, and for all those who have not personally seen my face. He hasn't been there that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." I say this in order that no one may delude you with persuasive arguments. For even though I am absent from you in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Verse 6. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Read that verse again. In him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him, you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. And 
in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands and the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. I'm sorry, I went backwards. He made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. How many with hymns did you catch in that passage? With him, in him. This one in whom the fullness of God dwells. Verse 10, in him you have been made complete. Verse 11, in him. Verse 12, with him in baptism. Verse 13, you have been made alive now together with him. For those of us whose only hope is Christ, who by grace have placed your faith in Christ, you have been united together with him. Union with Christ becomes then the source of all the blessing of all that you receive through him. By being united together with Christ, all that he accomplished in his life, his obedience, all that he accomplished in his pleasing of God the Father with his life, all that he accomplished by bearing the punishment, the perfect, satisfying fulfillment of judgment for sin, becomes yours, united with him. His resurrection from the dead, his defeat over death becomes yours as you are united with him. His position at the right hand of God the Father becomes yours as you are united together with Him. Union with Christ is a marvelous doctrine. All Think about that. that all that He accomplished, all of it, is credited now to you because you are united together with Him. Talk about marrying well. If we are indeed the bride of Christ, all that he has accomplished becomes ours. Does that overwhelm you? It overwhelmed me these past couple of days to consider that any position I have before God is because I'm united to him who has earned it on my behalf. know the psalm, who may stand in the presence of God? Who may ascend his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Well, I'm sorry, that's not me. Is it you? No, it's Christ. And praise God, I'm united with him. I enter into the holy place before God, and God may be saying, welcome, welcome, my son, but I'm going to be saying, I'm with him. <laughs> I'm going to point to Christ, because any 
welcome that I have before the creator God of the universe, the king of all things, is because of what Christ has accomplished on my behalf. And I am now united together with him. Does that overwhelm you? We are united together with him. And with that union then comes freedom. Comes freedom. That's what the rest of chapter 2 talks about. Chapter, uh, verse 16 and 17, freedom from legalism. Verse 18 and 19, freedom from false religion. 20 through 23, freedom from legalistic, ascetic type lifestyles. We are liberated. We are now free in Christ. So that's chapter 2. Chapter 2 is about how you are wed inseparably with Christ. As sure as the human nature and divine nature are now eternally united and inseparable in Christ, so you are now united to him inseparably for all of eternity. So now I'll go back to chapter 1. As we read through chapter 1 and, and see this incredibly exalting language of Christ, realize that this one that he is describing here is one to whom you, by faith, are now inseparably united. Inseparably. Paul begins the letter by saying, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God or through the will of God. The will of God wasn't just an instrument for his apostleship. It was the, the path of his apostleship. And Timothy, our brother, to the saints, the believers, and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Verse 3, he says, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, Ever since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all believers because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, just as in all the world it is also constantly bearing fruit and increasing even as it has been doing in you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God and truth. Verse 7, Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on your behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. Now listen to this prayer. See if you can count how many things that he prays for the Colossians here, and maybe try to make this, in some ways, a model of prayer for other believers here in this congregation. Listen to what he says, verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased, not quit praying for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will. If you don't pray that for anybody else, please pray it for me. That you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, why? Why does Paul pray this for them? Why does he want for them to know God's will? Why does he want for them to have spiritual wisdom and understanding of spiritual things? Verse 10, so that you may 
walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. An understanding of spiritual things and a growing understanding of God's word, a growing understanding of the nature and character of God must, by necessity, change your life. It must. Otherwise, you don't understand it. You cannot grasp the greatness and majesty and holiness of God and go away content to continue in rebellion against him. You can't do it. He prays these things for them so that they may walk, live in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's what that, that word that used there in Greek literally means to walk around. It's a picture of life. As you, it says, as you walk around, that you may walk around in a manner worthy of the holy and righteous God who called you. To please him, in all respects, there's the motive. So not only does spiritual understanding and increased knowledge of God and wisdom result in a change of life, it ought to result in a change of motive. The motive then becomes to please God. If you don't pray that for anybody else in this church, please pray it for me. bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his own dear Son. Still think your salvation is your own doing? in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. So there's Paul's prayer for them. Did you count? Probably not. The thrust of his prayer, though, is that as knowledge of God, as understanding of spiritual things, as we know more and more of him and his word, our life will be changed, our hearts will be changed, and it's all rooted in what Christ has done for us as we are united in him who has redeemed us. That's his point. You cannot be united to a righteous and holy magnanimous, that's a word, isn't it? Christ and have a life that's unchanged and a heart that doesn't desire God. At least as a pattern of desire. I think sometimes we may not desire God, but in the midst of that, if you're believers, you want you desire to desire Him. Does that make sense? I think even believers have struggles. 
that's a different sermon. We'll come back to that. And then in verse 15, this is where now finally we get to this word picture of Jesus. He begins to describe this Christ to whom believers are united. This Christ whom all of what he has accomplished, all of what he has been rewarded with, all of what he obtained by his perfect life, his substitutionary death, his victory over uh, the grave, his ascension to the right hand of God the Father where he now rules, all of that becomes ours in Christ. So all of these things which he's about to say to us, tell us about are characteristics of the Christ to whom we are united, our elder brother in the family of God. Verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. Okay. My, there it goes. I might as well stop and sit down now. I don't know how that can be. The image of an invisible God. The fact that he is invisible means that he cannot be imaged. And imagining, which is built on the same word as image, imagining, trying to conceive of what that image would look like will only result in idols. And so God, the second person of the Trinity, who is from the beginning, has always been God, never been created, wraps his deity with humanity, and by his life, evidences for us the characteristics of God. So what you see in the character of Christ is the character of God. We can understand abstractly, okay, God is love. God is good. God is righteous. God is just. God is gracious. God is merciful. Get a bit more abstract. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He knows everything. We, I mean, we can just abstractly understand that, but can you see it? Can you picture it? Well, this God then wrapped his deity with humanity and evidenced those things, showed us what those things look like so that you cannot see love, but by looking at Christ, you see what love does. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. Hebrews chapter 1, talking about Christ, says that he is the radiance of God's glory. And maybe it's because I have kids, but when I hear the word radiant, you know what I think of? Charlotte's Web. Radiant. But understand this, that the person of Christ is the, the eminence, the, the shining, the outworking of the glory of God in this world. He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of God's nature. That's what Hebrews says. So, Christian, you are now united with Christ, who is the exact representation of the character of God the Father. Your elder brother shares the same 
divine nature. Wow. Radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, who upholds all things by the word of his power. And when he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And when you enter the throne room of God, the one to whom you are united, your husband, your elder brother in the family of God is there. And all that he has accomplished that warrants his sitting at the right hand of God the Father becomes yours. Not only then, but in many ways now. Your salvation doesn't begin when you die. Ephesians says you have already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. Well, I don't always feel that. I don't even know what that means. But I trust that God is faithful to accomplish what he begins. Back in Colossians, the firstborn of all creations, of all creation, Verse 16, for by him or in him all things were created. The one to whom you are united is the one who spoke all of this into existence. Not just what you see, what you don't see, what you don't know. It's all his. It's all his. And you are united to him inseparably for all of eternity. By him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him. Okay, point made. Then it says, and for him. Remember Acts 17 when Paul is standing in the Areopagus and is, is telling them about Christ. And he, he begins by saying, I want to tell you about this unknown God. And he talks about how God created all of this. But he also created you. And he created you for the purpose of knowing and worshiping him. The Christ to whom you are united, not only is the source of all things, but he is the goal, the end, and the fulfillment of all things. Are you beginning to get some understanding of your position before God now? You don't. Your salvation is not just a get-out-of-jail-free card like you're playing Monopoly. It's not just wiping the slate clean. It's not just canceling your debt, which all of that's true. But the glorious creator, God of the universe has inseparably and eternally united himself to you, Christian. Does anybody else want to get up and shout yet? <laughs> Is that not glorious? 
By him all things were created in the heavens, on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. All things have been created by him and for him. And, verse 17, he is before all things. Jesus didn't begin when he was born in a stable 2,000 years ago. Jesus is and has always been God. Has no beginning. Eternally so. But at that point in history, this eternal God added to that nature, a human nature, for the purpose of radiating his glory into the world and accomplishing for sinners what they could not accomplish for themselves. Praise God. Praise God. Before all things, and in him, all things Hold together. He is the unifying principle of all things. I have a child, not to be named, because I did not ask permission, who when we were teaching this child about how in Christ all things hold together, this child of mine said, yes, and I'm the one who tears them all apart again. Yes, that would be Hannah. In Christ, all things hold together. Are you concerned about your life coming undone? There's reason for us to be concerned. There's a godly concern. There's, we don't. We shouldn't just be content and. When our life or in the world is made a mess, we need to be faithful. We need to be light in the world. I, you know, I'm I'm concerned that Syria shot down a jet from Turkey. Open air space. I'm concerned there might be war. Yeah, I'm concerned about those things. A Christian in Christ, all things hold together. He is the head of the body. The church, head meaning source, yes. At the head of a river is where it starts. But head also meaning authority. Head also meaning a number of things. The head of the body, which is us, the church. We are an autonomous group of, of believers. We gather together. We covenant with each other. And there is no entity outside of us that can tell us what to do. We have, I could give you a long denominational explanation of how we function as a congregation, but it is untrue that though we are autonomous, that we are also sovereign. That's not true. For Christ is the head of this church. When we gather together and make decisions as a church and we vote on things, the purpose of the vote is not to see what the popular opinion is, how many, how, what the most popular preference is. The purpose of a, a vote as a church is not to decide, well, okay, let's just see. Well, I'm getting tongue-tied. The purpose of the church is not just to, to weigh opinion. The purpose of the vote of a church is to vote on what we understand God's desire for us to be. He is the head of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, the first to rise from the dead. And in him, united with him, that becomes ours as well. Why did he do it? So that he 
himself might come to have first place in everything. In the church, in your life, in the details, first place in everything. I remember as I was being discipled in college, many of you probably have similar explanations of, of how the Christian life looks, right? And there's the picture of the illustration of a pizza or something, you know, where there's all these different slices and you've got your work life and you've got your social life and you've got your school life and you've got your family life and you've got all these different things. And then you also have, you know, your, your spiritual life there as well. And that is just, that's just wrong. That is just wrong. And I'm increasingly convinced that the wheel illustration that I've used for years and years and years, I have an old iron wagon wheel that I'll pull out every now and then as an illustration of the Christian life, you know, where you have the hub, the outside, the rim, I'm sorry, not the hub, the rim on the outside is your life, and the hub in the center is Christ, and what connects the, the power of Christ to your life are these spokes that go out from the center, and those spokes are the discipline of the Christian life, like prayer and Bible study evangelism and fellowship and worship and giving and you know, all of these different things that we do. And as you grow in each of those disciplines, the spokes get longer and the wheel gets bigger and obstacles that used to be too big for you then seem smaller. In many ways, I think that's even inadequate. It's helpful, but I think it's inadequate. Because the purpose of things like prayer and Bible study isn't just to appropriate the power of Christ to your problems. Christ did all of this that he might have preeminence in all things. Not just in the various segments of your life. It's all about him. It's all about him. And sometimes the obstacles are there to be insurmountable. To show us how weak we are. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness of God to dwell in Christ and through Christ to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. So the preeminence of Christ. If you're taking notes, you can finally get to an outline now. For the kids who have sermon outline there in front of you. Title of the sermon is, Who Are You? Who are you? Well, you are united to him who is preeminent in creation. Preeminent in all things. You're united to him who is preeminent in the church. You are united to him who is preeminent in redemption. Can you name any aspect of this world or of your life in which Christ does not claim mine You've heard that, right? That there is nothing in all of this universe over which Christ does not claim, that's mine. If that's true, then there's no aspect of your life or of this church or of this world over which Christ does not claim, that's mine. And what comfort. What comfort. Even your trials your difficulties, your pains, your discouragements, Christ can claim that. That's mine. I have a 
purpose with that. Be faithful with me. I have conquered bigger things than this. I have endured worse things than this. United to me. Look for how, on the other end of it, through victory or through perseverance, you are more Christ-like. Because there is nothing, not even a trial in this life, over which Christ does not claim, that's mine. So it sounds like then we can just sit back and relax. There's nothing left to be done. Christ has done it all. Is there really anything that I can do that can better what he has done? If I'm united to him and he has preeminence over all things, well then I'm just going to sit back and enjoy the ride. And yet even in Colossians, we see that he is praying for them to have a better understanding of the will of God so that their lives may be changed, that their motives may be transformed. It is not enough to just sit back and passively enjoy the ride toward Christ-likeness. That's not how it works. He continues in verse 21, And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, this is what they used to be before God brought reconciliation between himself and sinners. Although you used to be alienated, separated from God, you were hostile to God with your mind, and your life was saturated with, with evil deeds. Verse 22, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death. Why? in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. There is encouragement in sanctification as you grow in holiness, as you grow as a Christian. There is encouragement to know that the outcome is promised. To know that if I... If I if I get up today and I am faithful, I cannot accomplish, even though I cannot accomplish anything of much spiritual value on my own, if I get up today and strive to be faithful, the outcome is secure because Christ has already done it. And you know, the promise of him presenting us before the Father holy and blameless and beyond reproach is not just his best guess. This isn't his hope for. This isn't what he's trying to do with us and we'll see what happens. God is outside of time and he's already there. He's already seen it. This isn't just a prediction. This is him telling us how it's going to be from that perspective. He's already there. When he promises to present us before the Father holy and blameless, our sin nature gone, new life, new creation. It's not just him laying out his plans and blueprint for the future and we'll deal with it when we get there. That's him already there speaking backwards into time saying, this is where you're going to be. It's secure. 
Same is true for your salvation. It does not hold in your ability to keep it. Your salvation is secure because God has already accomplished it. Verse 23, if indeed, he says, you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation, under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Your faithfulness does not accomplish your salvation, but your salvation in your place before God works backwards into a transformed life. Is everybody still with me? I know there's a lot of just big, lofty language in this. But what I'm wanting you to leave today feeling is that Jesus isn't just your best friend. He's not just a wise man who has good counsel. He's not just a good example to follow. He is the creator God of the universe. He is the exact representation of divine majesty. And in him, you are united with him, and all that he has accomplished becomes yours. Hopefully that will change the way you view your life. Hopefully that will change the way you speak to Whoever gets your order wrong at Kentucky Fried Chicken this afternoon. Who are you? Who are you? Whatever answer comes to your mind, ought to be shaped by the eternal truth that if you are a Christian, you are inseparably united to Christ. Let's finish the chapter. Verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh, I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, and filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. That's a big verse with lots of questions. Maybe we can address that on a Sunday evening soon. Verse 25, Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God, that is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. And for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, 
which mightily works in me. And now we're back to where we started. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. As we read back through these verses now and see all the in hymns and with hymns and these descriptions of Christ as being the one in whom are the answers to all mysteries and knowledge and wisdom, it's all there in him. As we read back through all of these descriptions of our unity with him, now that you've seen this word picture of his majesty, let these things usher you into an amazement at what God has accomplished and lavished upon you in Christ. Verse 6, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. Past tense. In him you have been made complete. In Christ, your standing before God, your eternal destination, what you will be, from your perspective, is already secure and done. From God's perspective. He is the head over all rule and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands and the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your transgressions, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him. Past tense. He made you alive together with him, having forgiven us, past tense, of all our transgressions. Having canceled out the certificate of debt, past tense, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. It's gone. He has taken it out of the way and nailed it to the cross, past tense. Therefore, verse 16, let no one act as your judge in regard to things like what you eat or drink. Talk about petty and trivial. Don't be a legalist. These things have already been accomplished. Don't add structures. They won't even come close to accomplishing what he has already done.
Skip down to verse 20. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to, and then you can just fill in the blank after that. If you are united to Christ, why, why let yourself be consumed by the matters of blank? What makes you anxious? What do you give your heart to? Don't be consumed by those things. Because in Christ, though you struggle with them and should fight against them, they are defeated. I realize this sermon is more of a running list of reflections on the nature of Christ and what it means for us. But I'm hoping that as we leave today, and we look forward in two weeks to more talk about the peace of Christ that rules in our hearts, the word of Christ which dwells richly in us and our ministry to each other, and why we should submit to one another in the fear of Christ, that we do it with the perspective that we are united with the Christ, the glorious, all-consuming, all-claiming, sovereign, Christ. Let's pray. Father, I, I don't know much what to pray at the moment other than to thank you. You had no need of us. You had no need of us. Lord, indeed, if you need anything outside yourself, then you are not God. And that you would choose to unite sinners like us to Christ, to show us your love, your mercy, your grace, your patience, your wisdom, May we not take for granted that the Christ who we claim, the Jesus that we can be so casual with, is one to whom we as Christians are united for all of eternity and is now seated at the right hand of God, of, of the Father, and the one before whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess he is indeed Lord let us not take that for granted but let us marvel at it Lord work in our hearts in amazement and a joy that this is our privilege and one that we have not earned And so thank you 
Thank you. That by your grace, through faith, all who turn to Christ as their only hope of standing before God, of forgiveness, of new life, will gain it. But all who consider it and reject it will stand before God only condemned. So I pray that as we leave this morning, our hearts are shepherded to Christ. For every heart in this room, Lord, shepherd us to Christ. Grant us faith. Give us repentance. And then may we marvel at your mercy in it. It's in his name we pray. Amen.